At MasterCard, we believe that women-owned small businesses are uniquely inspiring. They're pillars of the community and have a measurable impact on the people within them. It's their secret sauce. We are deeply committed to helping address the daily challenges of all Canadian small businesses by putting our technology, cybersecurity solutions, digital resources, and partnerships to work for you every day. Discover them today at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. MasterCard, start something priceless. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday to hear new stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're excited to speak with Nicole Fry, based in Medicine Hat, Alberta, and she is the pet animal's best friend. Nicole Fry is an entrepreneur and the co-founder of the Animal Food Bank, an initiative devoted to addressing pet food insecurity. Her journey into animal welfare began in her hometown of Winnipeg, where she volunteered for the Norway House Animal Rescue Network. This experience exposed her to the challenging circumstances of many dogs in northern and remote communities. Motivated by a personal encounter with a homeless man and his dog in Kelowna, BC in 2019, Nicole found there were no, no pet food banks in the area to support people with pets to feed. Two days later, Nicole established the Animal Food Bank. Under Nicole's leadership, the Animal Food Bank has evolved into a vital organization advocating for change and impact, starting with just a couple of volunteers and one pet store partner in December 2019. It's expanded to over 100 volunteers and more than 50 pet store partners across Western Canada. Now the organization aims to extend its reach both nationally and globally. Its core mission is to foster collaboration among organizations that aid the homeless and assist low-income individuals striving to improve their circumstances. The Animal Food Bank also provides significant support to northern and remote Canadian communities. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. We're delighted to have you here. Um, I didn't even realize, and more for me, that, that, that pet food insecurity is a problem, and you've discovered it, you've probed it, you've explored it, and now you're doing something about it. So... Uh, first of all, just congratulations. Uh, what you're doing is amazing. Thank you. Let me ask you, we, we know that entrepreneurs are listening to the show. They're always looking for a, a hack or a new way to get ahead. So I'm wondering if there's a piece of advice uh, that you hope that fellow entrepreneurs will take away from this podcast. How do you get things done? How do you get impact? I think the biggest piece of advice I can give is never, never underestimate the power of one. Um, and so it's one thought, one idea, one meeting, one connection, you know, one customer, you never impact the power of one idea, um, one movement, because it can take a journey of its own. And so one idea, one, one meeting of a homeless gentleman and his dog named Odin uh, resulted in AFB in Kelowna starting, which started... Uh, which resulted in AFB Winnipeg, which has, you know, resulted in Western Canada and now Canadian and global aspirations. So um, just, yeah, just never, never underestimate the impact you can make. Right. I think I'd like to know a little bit more about 
your meeting with Odin and, and, and how that catalyzed the Animal Food Bank. Can you tell us a little bit more about that story? Oh, me and dogs. I love dogs, like love dogs, like probably unhealthily love dogs. Um, they're my absolute favorite. And uh, we were in downtown Cologne. I was at my uncle's work and I was helping him with some bookkeeping. And I came out of the door and there was this homeless gentleman in this beautiful black lab cross. And much to my husband's dismay, I beelined for this dog. And I was like, can I pet your dog? And so I joke that I'm sure the human has a name. I probably didn't ask it and even if I did I won't remember it I'm good at dog names only and so Odin and his dad um, were homeless and we had a very casual conversation this dog was beautiful I petted and enjoyed him and a couple minutes and then I got in the car and I went home and I was laying in bed that night googling stuff and thinking how does this guy feed his dog that's that's how it started um, and couldn't find a pet food bank in the area um, and Googled around and, and found some pet food banks. There was one in Kamloops, there was one in Cranbrook, um, and thought, well, we need one in Kelowna, let's start one, and said to my husband, let's start a pet food bank. And he is an SEO expert, and he said, we are calling it the Animal Food Bank, and two days later, we launched. And that was it. Wow, you make that With no pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> right? How hard could this be, I thought? Let's just do it. Yeah. What have you learned about pet food insecurity? I mean, is, is how big a problem is this? It's a hidden crisis. Um, and I do believe that it's a canary indicator. So people are, you know, we love our pets. And part of my hypothesis when I started AFB was we would be willing, we, the public would be willing to put aside whatever we thought the human was doing right or wrong. So if we're not in agreement with the lifestyle that they're living or the choices they're making or what have you, um, we would be willing to put that aside to help the pet. And that hypothesis has turned true. So um, I had no idea the the gravity of the problem when I started because I just wanted to feed the homeless guy's dog. And it actually started with one partner pet store and me going down to the homeless um, shelter and talking to some of the workers there. And we had a really informal process. It was a Facebook page and, and, um, and the need just kind of presented itself. And then as we saw that need grow, we were like, I'm from Winnipeg. Let's Google and see what's happening in Winnipeg. And there was no pet food bank at that point in Winnipeg. So we flew home to start one. And Winnipeg has become our busiest branch. We deal with somewhere between 200 and 300 requests a month. Um, and, and that's just through our own branch. We also help provide food to other organizations there. And there are, there is another pet food bank they're running too. So, so the need is great. I come from, I don't come from the nonprofit sector. So I come from an operations background, not like the doctor kind, but like the running a business kind. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and really built AFB. I've been involved in so many startups and, uh, have witnessed the results of not building to support scale. And so, um, you know, as an operational consultant, that was always my focus, build to support scale. And so when we were building AFB, that was the model. It was to be scalable and repeatable and really, really low barrier, low barrier for volunteers and low barrier for clients. And I was very, very interested in data because when I see our numbers going up and people are, you know, that's awesome. You provided, you know, 400 deliveries this month. And last month it was 350. You guys are doing great. And I'm thinking, no, we're not doing great. That's the opposite of what I want to see happening. Success for AFB, unlike any other business, um, would be to shut our doors. So I was very interested in why people were 
facing pet food insecurity. And so we, we polled our clients. I ask our clients a lot of things a lot of times, but we polled our clients because I was interested in the impact that the pet food bank was having. Um, and of respondents, we found that 66% were no longer having to feed, having to choose who eats, whether it was them or their pets, um, because we exist. And there's a really good story that really highlights the impact of that because we had a little guy, he was I think 10 or 11 in Winnipeg, and we had a school counselor contact us. She had found out that his, he was a single, his dad was a single dad, had lost his job, um, and they couldn't afford pet food. And so this little guy was sneaking into his room at dinner time to share his dinner with his dog. It makes me want to cry talking about it, and it's been two years. Um, and, and that's the impact. That's the choices people are making. 66% of our clients were choosing whether they were going to eat or whether their pet was going to eat. Um, and so obviously we, we got, we made sure he was taken care of. Um, but that's, that's the reality of what happens when we're not providing support for people's pets. 56% yeah. of the respondents said that had we not existed, they would have had to surrender their pet due to lack of resources. And so the impact of that is quite great because if we don't intervene and the Chero model model is broken in my opinion, and we can talk about that for hours, but if we don't start po focusing on prevention, then, and, and to me, providing pet food to somebody uh, to prevent them from surrendering their pet is prevention. Right. So if we don't focus on prevention, then those people are going to have to surrender or release their pet, and it then still becomes the community's problem. But now the human is upset, the pet is distressed, the shelters are overwhelmed, and so our our goal is to keep happy, loved pets with their humans and out of those shelters so that those shelters can then focus their resources on the unhappy and unwanted pets. That's pretty much the impact. That is a, a, a very specific mission, but it, but the way you tell it, it, it all makes right? tremendous sense. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And, and just let's talk for a little bit about, you've spoken before about the importance of pets to to some of the people in these marginalized food challenged homeless situations. Mm -hmm. tell, tell, tell us just a little bit more about the relationship between these people and their, their pets, who I guess we usually mean dogs, but maybe not always. <laughs> oh my gosh, we fed turtles and fish. And I remember our team and I Googling what turtles eat, it's pellets. But we've had somebody rest, you know, ask for turtle food. Um, and so if you have a pet and you love it and we can help and you need help, we will. There's no, no judgment on what kind of pet you have. It's normally cats and dogs, though. Um, we saw during COVID, so pets are such an important uh, piece of the family, a member of the family, um, in that they provide unconditional love and companionship and support for homeless people, especially dogs. They provide protection and things like that. Um, and so we see that from even just a normal pet owner who maybe isn't facing financial insecurity or homelessness. We all know the, the value of our pets um, and the value that they bring to our life. And so that is no different, if not more impactful for people who are struggling. So um, it's really important. Not Those are the intangible measurements. Like there's no way that I can take and qualify that statement with the data other than asking people, is your life improved because of your pet? And most everyone will say yes. Um, and so supporting that and, and making sure that those humans who are already struggling don't have to struggle more because of a bag of cat food or dog food is hugely beneficial for the community, not from this, not just from the standpoint of not surrendering pets into shelters, um, but also from reducing 
mental illness, um, you know, reducing safety concerns, just providing companionship and overall improve, um, improving quality of life for those pet owners as well. Wow. Yeah. So such an important mission that, that you're on. Um, tell us a little bit about sort of w- w- what the Animal Food Bank looks like right now. I think you're in three communities, but you're, you know, having Im- impact in a lot more than that. We are. It's grown into this whole thing. And it's like my husband's only I told you so moment because he said he knew it was going to happen. And I always am like, I had no idea. I just wanted to feed Odin, you know. And so here we are four years later with 100 volunteers. um, And we've moved like 2.5 million meals worth of food. um, And we've become this little force to be reckoned with. We are the only pet food bank to operate across provincial borders. Uh, We promote collaboration and cooperation and we promote low barrier access. So um, we're really trying to, to disrupt the sector and do things differently and show them the results of doing things differently. And we've moved into operating our own branches um, or moved from, I guess, operating our own branches to also providing pet food and supply support to other organizations providing pet food into their community, prioritizing pet food banks, but then also rescues and shelters. And so the impact of that is we become the path of least resistance for donors. So we have, you know, good, um, the greater good charities working with Purina or LeGulps or Vet Diet or Hearts right now who can donate 70 pallets of cat food. A lot of rescues and organizations out there aren't equipped to receive 70 pallets of cat food. And we can. We can receive that into Winnipeg um, through a partnership we have uh, with donated warehouse space from Atlas Grand Fergal. And they will help us distribute it across Western Canada. And so it's a path of least resistance model from the perspective that the donors can then make the greatest impact on the least amount of effort, because this is not their bread and butter. Their bread and butter is to sell pet food. Um, We get that pet food in and then we can make sure that we can get it out to as many organizations and then organizations who also provide to organizations like Feed the Fur Babies in Winnipeg um, to make sure we're, we're creating this big impact. And, and that's the model. Um, I, we were talking earlier about the impact of uh, me hitting my head in January and, and having the resulting brain injury and what does that look like for AFB. Um, and luckily, we were moving me into a role more from uh, the perspective of obtaining and distributing those large donations. And we have an amazing group of volunteers who deal with the delivery of pet food bank services in the communities where we operate. And so it's been this... Um, It's been this shining example of how disrupting the sector works and the impact that you can make when you think outside of the box, I guess, which would also be something else I would challenge entrepreneurs to do. Wow, so much to unpack there. And I just want to acknowledge uh, the injury that you suffered, which has resulted in in, in some brain damage and uh, you're still being treated for it, but being treated in Canada means mainly to be on a waiting list. Yeah. And, and yet your, you know, your commitments uh, has never wavered. And you were saying before we went on the air that even when you weren't, we're supposed to be just sitting and recovering and not doing any work, you were still checking your phone all the time. So 100%. your dedication. Your, your dedication yes. is, 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 is amazing. And, you know, for all the entrepreneurs who think the odds are stacked against them um, and then, uh, you know, be glad you have your health. A hundred percent. Yes. 
it's it's interesting in that AFB never feels like work to me. Um, and so when you love what you do and when you're passionate about why you're doing it, so the end goal for us is to, you know, drive ourselves out of business, but um, never have anybody have to surrender their pet if they don't want to. And obviously if that pet is happy and healthy. Um, when you love what you do and, and it's a mission, it doesn't become work. So it's not a drain anymore for me to get up and, and work. Um, I, I get inspiration from it and purpose from it and all those kinds of things. And so when I'm not able to do it, I'm, I'm not relieved. It's not like a vacation. I'd much rather be involved and know that we're making impact. So um, it, you know, I'm 48 and it took me 45 years to figure that out. I love operations. I love systems. I, you know, I love all that kind of stuff, but the purpose wasn't there. Um, and so I would get bored really quickly and go in and fix the problem fix. And that's why I started consulting. Cause it was like, okay, I'll come in and fix what's wrong. And then I want to go find something else to fix in AFB. I never find that boredom. Um, and we do have like a fairly stable process. Uh, there's not a lot to improve upon other than building the software. Um, but I'm never bored and there's always something that we can do to make impact. And so, yeah, finding that passion is really, really important. Right. And we mentioned off the top that your goal is to increase your impact to the national and uh, global scale. Can you tell us anything about your plans there? Yes. So uh, SEO, my husband, my husband and his SEO ninja skills, we get requests from all over the world. Like if you pop on, you know, Animal Food Bank will show up in India. It'll show up in Thailand. Um, we've done a delivery in New Zealand, in Ireland. So uh, we get a lot of requests from the states and things like that. And, and what that shows me is that this, this problem is not specific to Canada. It's a global problem. And there will always be varying factors as to why it exists. And those will be community or country specific. But the problem itself um, is not just in Canada. And I didn't want anybody to have to go through the learning curve that I have. So unbeknownst to me, I have become a pet food bank and ex expert in Canada. Um, and that only right. for the lack of people doing it on the scale that we're doing it out there. Um, there's no reason I should be a pet food bank expert, but here we are. So I wanted to be able to facilitate somebody starting a branch or a pet food bank in their area. That was the goal right from when we started. And, and working towards building software to do that. And the software will be uh, free source and they can also sign up through our system if they want to and have access to our food network. Um, but the goal is because we see the global problem that that software can be used anywhere there is as well as the basic model of what our pet food bank looks like. Because the, um, you know, animals are, just like people, we're all global citizens. And so trying to get out of the mindset of our boundaries, our self-imposed boundaries. So if we donate a medicine hat, we want the donation to stay in medicine hat. You know, if we donate in Winnipeg, we want the donation to stay in Winnipeg. But if there's a dog starving in northern Manitoba and the donation has come into Winnipeg and Winnipeg doesn't need it, and I can feed that dog in northern Manitoba, we will. So recognizing that from a global standpoint, um, the animals are global citizens as well. How do we globally affect change for them? Uh, that's pretty much where the global um, priority, I guess, has come from. The national priority in Canada we've been working on since we started. I like, would love nothing more than to have a branch of AFB or AFB being supportive of an already operating pet food bank like we are in Calgary. Um, with helping with food to be everywhere so that no one has to 
ever choose between feeding themselves or their pets or surrendering their pet over a bag of food. To do that, um, we need the software, So, which we're building right now, um, because there is need everywhere. And the animal welfare organizations out there, like the SPCAs and the Humane Societies and things like that, this is not where they're they need to be out there dealing for the unloved and the uncared for and the abused animals and advocating for that. Um, if animal food banks or pet food banks can step in as a preventative measure, like I said, to, to stop surrender, um, th there's a purpose for them there. And it also alleviates pressure off of people food banks um, to have to provide pet food and deal with the logistics of storing and distributing pet food. So it's kind of a win-win for other organizations out there and then obviously a win for the pets. And just help us understand where the food comes from. Is, is, is it always being donated by the various pet food companies? You know, when we started, again, with no model, other than let's just feed Odin, um, we had a pet food or we had a pet store partner with us. And it is a, it's a pet value. We are very heavily uh, connected with pet values across Canada um and the canadian team yes the canadian team a lot of the franchises um and uh like in in medicine hat we have two pet values and they're locally owned even though they're part of the the pet value corporate model um, and they're very good at giving back to the community and and supporting their pets and so pet value was really instrumental in helping us shape uh what that looks like and starting to understand what kind of food is available and how best to uh, access it and then how best to distribute it. And so there's lots of factors to consider. Um, you have food that's expired, you have food that's been returned in open bags, you have food that's been damaged, um, you have food that people have come into the pet store and bought. And so the model is interesting in that I, I firmly believe that there should be um, a return on investment for any pet store that's willing to work with us. And so what sets us apart, I think, from like a regular rescue as far as fundraising goes, is that when we go into a store to do an event, any money that's raised at that event in that store stays in that store for us to buy food. We try and be as transparent as, off, as possible and to provide the community with as much assurance and control over where their money is going. We always know we're gonna need food. And so for, for us, it makes sense for a gift card to sit on a pet store with us. Um, as that's evolved, you know, for the first year, I'd say we were pretty dependent on food drives um, and pet stores. As that's evolved and I've become more, um, I don't know, I guess, entrenched in the network in Canada with, uh, especially in Western Canada with pet food manufacturers and things like that, we've started being able to receive in those large donations. And the first one was actually from uh, Mars, uh, from Purina. And they had contacted me during the fires in BC in 2021. They had a truckload of like 70 pallets or something, and they couldn't find anywhere to deliver it. And I was like, they said, will you take it? And I said, yes. And I hung up the phone and I was like, where am I going to have 70 pallets of food? <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a thing. What a problem. Right, yeah, say yes, but it's a good problem to have. And we managed to pull it off. Like I've had pet food delivered into... Um, car dealership parking lots before uh, with friends that work there and they have a forklift and they can unload it for me and they don't mind the food sitting there for the afternoon while we arrange them to have it picked up so there, where there's a will there's a way um wow. but yeah so that was how i became aware of the need for large donations to have somewhere where they can easily be received and then distributed out from there uh, and i think that has and the fact that we operate across provincial borders that has really uh, been attractive to donor, for donors. 
um, to have the biggest impact with the least amount of work on their part, which sounds terrible. And I don't mean it to sound terrible, but again, their job is to get what their priority is to get that food out of their warehouse because they can't sell it. And so the, the easier I can make that for them, the more access we'll have to those large donations, the more impact we can make with our partner organizations. That's fabulous. So, so is that the, the, the universe of food available to you is what's been returned or considered unsaleable by pet food stores and the excess that the pet food manufacturers all find themselves with? I think so. Yeah, definitely. From a store perspective, it, I will find a home for anything. So if anybody ever asks, that's our one rule I have. When somebody wants to donate something, you say yes, <laughs> we will find a home for it. Starving dogs right. in remote communities don't care if the food is expired. They don't care if it's been opened and they don't care if it's in the original packaging. We will truck it up there and they will dump it on the streets and they will feed those dogs. Um, and so that that's also something that sets us apart as we we will make use of just about anything as long as it's not gross or unhealthy or you know damaged or things um, damaged to the point of being unusable so if there's mold in the food or something like that we obviously won't um won't go out and and obviously you know your goal is to put yourselves out of business but but you're not in that business you're not in the business of solving the symptom of resolving the symptoms and and, and healing the world so, so it's so are yeah. do, do you see that there are ways you can contribute to solving the homelessness problem, the, the income problem? I do, actually. Um, there's so much, so many barriers put up as soon as a pet's involved. So we've got ideas about, um, you know, and if anybody's listening and wants to explore these with me, please contact us. But we've got ideas about, you know, the, the tiny homes um, and just making formal pet policies where people, you know, facing homelessness with pets can come and and get access to housing. We deal with a lot of that. So there's instances where we had a woman who left an abusive relationship in Winnipeg and was sleeping in her car in the middle of winter in Winnipeg with her dog because she couldn't find a shelter that would take her and her dog and she wouldn't leave her dog. I'd be the same way. Um, and so there's, there's things like that where we can we can advocate and spearhead uh, programs that can be replicated um, with prioritizing the bond with a human and their pet um, as the way to move forward through that. So I do think we have an opportunity um, to make impact. We also have an opportunity from the standpoint of there's, a, there's so many possible homes out there for pets um, in low income, especially with kids that are living in low income households um, that would benefit so much from pet ownership and can't access pet ownership because of the cost barrier. And so looking at forever fostering programs, like there's one going around, I think in the States, um, where they match senior pets with, with lonely seniors, and then they provide funding and support with food and things like that. The alternative is that pet goes into a shelter or is euthanized because they can't find placement for it. Um, and so I think that's just a better solution uh, for that, not only for the pet, but for the humans that are lonely or the kids that, you know, would, would benefit from the companionship and the responsibility of, of owning a pet or, or having to take care of a pet. So there's lots of things that have come to light over the last four years as we've been doing this work um, where I can see what the problems are. Food insecurity is a symptom. Um, and we can start working towards some programs uh, to, to start alleviating some of those problems. And, and that's amazing because when, when, when I first found out about Animal Food Bank, um, 
you know, I approached it with not knowing anything about the problem. And, and I wondered, okay, how entrepreneurial is this group? But I see that the scope for creativity and relationship building and thinking outside the box at, uh, is is incredible the, the the by 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 focusing on this one very specific problem you bring attention to it and you're exploiting all kinds of you're developing all kinds of new ideas for how to fix these problems and allowing a person to keep a pet is a solution. Yes. <laughs> it's not a problem. Yes, yes, <laughs> so exactly. It's, it's very exciting to see the world that that, that, that you're spending your time in, uh, and you know you see it as as full of opportunities and solutions, I do. not just a problem of hunger. Yes, coming back from like not coming from the nonprofit sector, I think has been really beneficial. Um, and naive me thought I would be like welcomed with open arms when I when I started this four years ago, we're all working for the same goal, but we're not actually and it's really competitive and it's scarcity driven. It's very scarcity driven. So everybody is very um, hold their donors close to their chest, hold their fosters close to their chest, you know, hold their contacts close to their chest, because I need that donation, I need that foster, I need that support. And if if I share it with you, then I won't be able to do what I can do. And we do not operate like that at all. We operate on, an, on a mentality of abundance. And it's not that there's always abundance available for us, but I always believe we will find what we need. Um, and so it has worked. I mean, you know, we're almost at 3 million meals now. I was just pulling up the stats while I was talking to you here. Um, it, it works. And I'm hoping that it inspires other nonprofits to operate a little bit more like a business and less like a please donate to me because we're poor and we need it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Please donate to us because, um, and, and we're going to give you a lot of control and a lot of options in how you donate and we can accommodate those donations in a variety of ways on short notice and we can pivot very quickly, very unlike the nonprofit model. Um, much more like a business model. So in, for us, the donors are kind of like our customers because I want to make it easy and fun and, and I want them to feel impact and empowered for working with us um, and, and inspiring them to continue to want to work with us because we're not just going to constantly be asking for food. Food is necessary, but I want to then also move the business into that solutions sector where we're now looking to partner with them to make impact and solve the problems. And I imagine, I mean, I mean, every entrepreneur wants to develop trust building stories that help people see what their commitment is to customer service and, and how special and innovative they are. What's the, what's the best community building story that you come up with? Because you must have so many. I mean, just about the way you preserve that relationship between um, marginalized people and their pets. What, what's what's the best story that makes everybody open their eyes and say, "Yes, take everything I have." Right, it's the little boy sharing his dinner in secret in his room with his pets. Yeah, you know that really is the like. It's the story that still gets me, um, and it's it really is the the story that makes people step back, and go, "Oh, this actually is something that is happening." This poor little kid is having to share their dinner with their pet. Um, and so that is the one that I always go to. It's the one that I always say, for whatever reason, I'm just gonna trust my intuition here. Um, I wanna talk about 
for for fellow entrepreneurs and startups that are listening the importance of of team building and being like a solid leader who your job is not to micromanage your job is not to um, forcefully impose your ideals and your processes on your team your job is to inspire and empower them to do the work and achieve the vision but also make sure they have the teal the the tools and the support to do so. And I think the biggest one is the gratitude. I am forever in debt to our volunteers. If entrepreneurs, I come from an entrepreneurial background, clearly. Um, I've also worked for universities and you know women's shelters and, and private sector and all those kinds of things. So I have a well-rounded kind of experience and skill set. Um, if you don't we wouldn't be where we are without our volunteers. And if you think managing and inspiring staff is hard, who you're paying, imagine what it's like to manage and inspire volunteers who you're not paying. They're here for the impact of the work. And that has been probably one of the most eye-opening things. And as we're talking about this, what advice would I give to entrepreneurs? Never impact the power of one um, or never underestimate the mm -hmm. impact of the power of one, but also to share that impact with your team. They need to feel it and they need to, to own it. Um, they need to own their part in that. It's giving me goosebumps as we talk about it because I think that has been really what set us apart. Our volunteers have a say in what we're doing. I listen to them. I want to hear their feedback. They're the ones out there dealing with clients on a day-to-day -day basis. They know what works. They know what doesn't work. When a client is being aggressive, we have it happen every once in a while or me, um, you know, they, they expect me to come in and I'm honored to come in and, and be a stand for them. And so I think that is a, a key piece of it too, um, for how do we make that impact? We share that impact. It is not me. AFB is a group of volunteers and donors who facilitate impact to clients. Um, and I, th I think that's probably one of the things that sets us apart too. Yeah. And that's such an important point is, is very often entrepreneurs, you know, so stuck in the day to day and so much trying to insulate their people from the friction involved. Sometimes they forget to be that inspirational leader and, 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 and to tell these stories and to make sure that everybody is as excited as they are about the mission and, and how it's developing. Uh -huh. I've worked with many founders and founders are definitely the most challenging. <laughs> Normally it's not the employees, it's the founders that are the problem. <laughs> um, and so now I'm a founder, right? And, and I'm constantly like, am I the problem? Am I like, and so I try to be really, really mindful of that. It's hard because I do have a vision of where I want AFB to go, but I can't be so stuck in that vision that I'm not willing to reshape it based on what's actually happening with AFB. And I wouldn't know about that unless I was actually engaging with the volunteers. So when you say in your experience, it's always the founders that are problems, you mean this, this, just in terms of breaking out of, of where you're stuck? It, the, the entrepreneur. Oh, usually, yeah. If I had to come into a business for consulting, it's it's an operation, especially if I'm coming in to repair a broken team. Very often, it is uh, that the founders are stuck and in the way, um, and they can't get out of that. Like, how do I let go of control of the day to day management of the business that I love so much and is my baby, um, and focus more on the vision? So, how do I make that leap and trust? Um, and as soon as they make that leap and trust and we make sure they have the right team in place, then it's no longer such an issue. But founders very often, sometimes I'm guilty of it too, have a hard time getting out of our own way. 
our own way. We're almost like the ones who preclude the business or the nonprofit or whatever it is from going forward and achieving those goals because we are so worried that if we let go of control of everything that the, the organization maybe won't be ours anymore or it won't achieve what we wanted it to achieve. Um, and that, you know, it's not normally the case <laughs> at all. And normally if you have a good team underneath you, um, and I hate that term because I think we're all, we all provide such an important piece. There's no, no one above anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but, for, you know, from a founder standpoint, if, if we don't celebrate and engage and trust the people we have working with us and for us, then we will never get um, to achieve what it is we want to achieve, if that makes sense. And so it's really kind of making sure, and if you, and if you can't trust your team, you have the wrong team. <laughs> That's just all there is to it. Uh, but, you know, tr- having the right team and still being able to let go and trust is is a challenge and a practice for sure. And, and uh, I think it's really, really important, not only for the founder and not only for the organization, but for the people that are helping you build it. Yeah. And I want, want, I want to thank you for bringing up that, that point about, you know, the, the, the founder may be the problem. Um, we talk mainly yeah. to founders on, the, uh, on this program. So the founders don't usually volunteer that. Uh, they, I, I think a lot of founders feel that if it is to be, it is up to me, but they don't have the flip side of that, which is, if there's a problem here, maybe that's me too. So thank maybe you for reminding too. us. Thank you for reminding me. I think it's my perspective from being, you know, and, and drop in. Right, from being outside and, and seeing the dynamic yeah. inside. A hundred percent. Yeah, and coming in and, and always being that bridge between the founder and the team um, and seeing, you know, the, the difficulties of translating what the founder wants to the team so they can execute, but also translating what the team wants and needs to the founder so they'll listen. And so I knew based on experience that founders are, are, yeah, we're, we're the, we're the problem more often than not. Right. So, and when, when you run into trouble, when, when, when animal food bank you know, need support. Are there groups out there or individuals that you can turn to for support? Are there uh, government programs, business programs, entrepreneurial advisors? Who do you depend on? Who do you go in when, when, when you need some support? My husband, a lot. Uh, he, well, let's he name him. Sounding... We haven't named him yet. He does have a name, AJ. Yes, my husband, AJ, a lot. Uh, and because we're doing, I, I try not to focus too much on like the nonprofit aspect of what we're doing um, and, and do structure it very much like a business with a terrible model for revenue because it's all donor based. But um, I really want us to promote that collaboration and cooperation by building that network. Um, and so there's not anyone in particular other than my husband that I always go to for, for a sounding board, but there are so many talented, brilliant people who have bits and pieces of the information that we need um, or that I, I need advice on. So I do have a network of people that I can talk to. There's a tripod in BC, me, uh, our group, and uh, Four Paws Food Bank in Kamloops, and then the Good Hall in Vancouver, we are instrumental in moving food around, especially during fires and disasters in BC. Um, I would consider them, you know, two people that I would go to to ask for advice or bounce ideas off of. Um, Melissa, who runs Parachute for Pets in Calgary, another one. You know, her and I, our stories are very similar 
and our experiences are very similar. Um, and she is brilliant and has great ideas and running a great program out there. And so that is somebody else, you know, her and I can bounce ideas off of one another. But there's not really a, a formal network of, you know, pet food banks or things like that, because most of most of them don't operate even outside of their city, never mind outside of their, pro their province. And so we really are paving the way um, with regards to that. And every community we operate in is just a little bit different. There's a bit, a bit of finesse to how we run the program um, in every community. And, and so it's really just a learning curve um, based on what we experience. And everything changes. You know, when CERB was flowing, demand went down. When CERB stopped flowing, demand went up. So there's so many variables that impact what we're doing. Um, it makes it very hard to, to have a mentor. I do have a mentor uh, for business though. And, and so I do lean on her quite a bit when I'm asking, you know, questions. Um, her name is Christine and she, I used to work for her. She runs, uh, she owns Grown Her Farms out in BC and it's an organic farm that I worked for, for, for a few years. Um, but she has a really interesting perspective on life. And so, um, you know, leaning on her when I have questions, or even if you just want to vent and you're like, this is just <laughs> exactly. so frustrating. Yeah. I think so, every entrepreneur yeah. should have that, that, that resource to lean yeah. on because you, you can't, you can't stand tall all the time. Sometimes you have to lean on. No, I mean, this is just hot garbage and I need to talk about it. And so, um, but yeah, she's, she'll let me vent and then, and then gives me some good ideas on, on how to brainstorm, but you know, it's, it's a network. It's who, you know, it's, it's not what, you know, most of the time. And so another piece of advice is just be a decent human and be authentic. Right. Um, that, that goes far and it gets you places and, and it's so lacking in the world sometimes that people gravitate towards it. So. Exactly. And speaking of gravitating, good people gravitating towards each other, you have a bit of a collaboration going with Canadian singer-songwriter Jan Arden. So tell us about that. I know. It's so exciting. I love Jan Arden. Not like in a weird, awkward way, but like <laughs> I remember listening to her music in high school and like driving around and singing Insensitive at the top of my lungs with my girlfriend um, and, you know, with our pull-out tape deck. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so right because I'm so old um and and just really admired her and have seen her in concert and she's just so funny and witty and she's she's an animal lover and she's an, an advocate and I respect that and uh, she's authentic like I follow her on Facebook and, and if you read her post she's authentic and I, mm -hmm. and I respect that Absolutely. too and she's opinionated and I respect that and all of the things um, and so when I was, I watched um, Ryan Reynolds do the t-shirt design for the Terry Fox run. And I was like, well, why can't we have somebody do a t-shirt design? And so I was like, John Arden, because she's, you know, advocating for horses and trying to end horse slaughter and all of those things. And I, I sent a message to her management team and they responded like instantly. This is a great idea. We would love to do this. And so we've been working on this since May or June. can't remember now. And, um, and she sent over, she's so brilliant. She just sent over like six designs for us to pick from. And so I picked my favorite, which is on our site. And, uh, and that was it. They made it really, really easy. And she's been so incredibly supportive, her and her team. And I'm just so honored to have her be willing to share her creativity um, with us for the sake of benefiting pets in need. And yeah, it was just a really great fit. And she's such a Canadian icon. And uh, AFB is really, I, I want it to be the Canadian icon of pet food banks. <laughs> so of course. It's, it's a bit of a good 
it that way as well. Yeah. And, and I'm hoping that um, with her designing the shirts for us, that it'll help raise awareness for the need for supporting pet food banks, not just ours, but anybody who is providing pet food to pets of the homeless and low income in their communities and just getting the word out there about the need. Because as you said, no one thinks about it, right? Yeah, it's, 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 it's almost invisible. The other thing that strikes me about it, though, is that there's a really interesting way to tackle the question of homelessness, because homelessness is almost an unsolvable problem. No one seems to have any ideas. The solutions take forever. Um, there's lots of um, hostility and misunderstanding around the issue. But man, when you bring it down to a person and their dog uh, sharing a sandwich, then, then that's something we can all get behind. Exactly. People are willing to put aside what they think the human is doing wrong in order to help the pet. It's absolutely true. And, you know, it's such a complicated issue. People who are facing homelessness and addictions, they don't fit into the mold of what we have decided society should be. If they did, they wouldn't be facing, you know, much of what they're facing. And so um, having the pet be the piece of the puzzle that the public is willing to get behind to provide solutions is been really, really interesting. And like you said, if you say, well, this homeless person is hungry, it may not resonate as terrible as that is. It may not resonate as much as this dog of this homeless person is hungry. Um, and now the dog is, you know, has really no say in their life and their circumstances and they love their human regardless of whether they're homeless or a drug addict or what have you mental illness it doesn't matter and how do we how do we help that dog and so it does open up a very um it opens up new conversation Absolutely. with yeah. less judgment i find yeah so same thing like housing okay i want to house this homeless person and you're going well does this homeless person deserve to be housed and you're, you've got all these judgments and preconceived notions about what makes somebody warrant, um, you know, deserve housing or deserve help or things like that. And then you throw this dog into the picture and you're like, this dog and their human needs somewhere to stay. I have never had a problem finding somebody to be willing to donate to provide us funding to help a dog stay somewhere with their human. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a very interesting approach i think it, it makes no sense at all but it's but it's totally logical <laughs> at the same time yeah. it gives us i totally yeah yeah and, and yeah it's, uh, it, the charitable sector is a bit broken <laughs> exactly it's, it's indefensible but uh but this is the way people are, are are made and i'm delighted that you and and all your partners at the animal food bank are are making this difference and and you know injecting new energy and compassion into these conversations i love it thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to share the information about what we do yeah well delighted we've been talking with nicole fry the co-founder of animal food bank uh working all across western canada and and eyeing the rest of the world at this very same time Nicole, any final words of advice or call to action for, for fellow entrepreneurs and leaders uh, in businesses or nonprofit organizations? Don't prioritize profit over everything else. Um, I think, you know, profit is important, obviously, but it is not the be all end all. And if you prioritize profit over people, whether that be your customer or your market segment or your employees or yourself, um, it's, it becomes very challenging to, to move your business forward. And so never, for in, never forget and never underestimate 
uh, the importance of impact. Absolutely. Nicole, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing this story. It's a wonderful story and you're, you're, you're a credit to entrepreneurs and change makers everywhere. And we're looking forward to following your story going forward. Thank you so much, Rick. I appreciate it. Okay. We'll talk again. Awesome. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence.